Chapter Twenty, Part Two of Hypatia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hypatia by Charles Kingsley, Chapter Twenty. She stoops to conquer, Part Two. Hypatia was still silent, foiled at every point, while Orestes ran on with provoking glibness. And consider, too, even if we dare alter. Exclylus a little, we could find no one to act him. Ah, true, fallen, fallen days. And really, after all, omitting the questionable compliment to me, as candidate for a certain dignity, of having my namesake kill his mother, and then be haunted over the stage by furies. But Apollo vindicates and purifies him at last. What a noble occasion that last scene would give for winning them back to their old reverence for the god. True, but at present the majority of spectators will believe more strongly in the horrors of matricide and furies than in apollo's power to dispense therewith so that i fear must be one of your laborers of the future and it shall be said hypatia but she did not speak cheerfully do you not think moreover went on the tempter that those old tragedies might give somewhat too gloomy a notion of those deities whom we wish to reintroduce I beg pardon to rehonor the history of the house of the Etrius is hardly more cheerful in spite of its beauty than one of Cyril's sermons on the day of judgment and the Tartarus prepared for hapless rich people. Well, said Hypatia, more and more listlessly, it might be more prudent to show them first the fairer and more graceful side of the old myths. Certainly the great age of Athenian tragedy had its playful reserve in the old comedy, and in certain Dionysiac sports and processions which shall be nameless, in order to awaken a proper devotion for the gods in those who might not be able to appreciate Aeschylus and Sophocles. You would not introduce them? Pallas forbid, but give as fair a substitute for them as we can. And are we to degrade ourselves because the masses are degraded? Not in the least, for my own part. This whole business, like the catering for the weekly pantomimes, is as great a bore to me as it could have been to Julian himself. But, my dearest madame, Panium and Circenses, they must be put into good humor, and there is but one way, by the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, as a certain Galilean correctly defines the time-honored Roman method, put them into good humor, I wish to illustrate them afresh for the service of the gods. If we must have comic representations, we can only have them conjoined to tragedy, which, as Aristotle defines it, will purify their affections by pity and terror. Orestes smiled. I certainly can have no objection to so good a purpose. But do you not think that the battle between the gladiators and the Libyans will have done that sufficiently beforehand? I can conceive nothing more fit for that end, unless it be Nero's method of sending his guards among the spectators themselves, and throwing them down to the wild beasts in the arena. How thoroughly purified by pity and terror must every worthy shopkeeper have been, when he sat uncertain whether he might not follow his fat wife into the claws of the nearest lion. You are pleased to be witty, sir, said Hypatia, hardly able to conceal her disgust. My dearest bride-elect, I only meant the most harmless of reductionis ad absurdum, of an abstract canon of Aristotle, with which I, who am a Platonist, after my mistress's model, do not happen to agree. But do, I beseech you, be ruled, not by me, but by your own wisdom. 
You cannot bring the people to appreciate your designs at the first sight. You are too wise, too pure, too lofty, too far-sighted for them, and therefore you must get power to compel them. Julian, after all, found it necessary to compel. If he had lived seven years more, he would have found it necessary to persecute. The gods forbid that, that such a necessity should ever arise here. The only way to avoid it, believe me, is to allure and to indulge. After all, it is for their good. True, sighed Hypatia. Have your way, sir. Believe me, you shall have yours in turn. I ask you to be ruled by me now, only that you may be in a position to rule me in Africa hereafter. And such an Africa? Well, if they are born low and earthly, they must, I suppose. He treated as such, and the fault of such a necessity is nature's and not ours. Yet it is most degrading, but still, if the only method by which the philosophic few can assume their rights as the divinely appointed rulers of the world is by indulging those lower beings whom they govern for their good, why, be it so, it is no worse necessity than many other which the servant of the gods must endure in days like these." Ah, said Orestes, refusing to hear the sigh, or to see the bitterness of the lip which accompanied the speech, now Hypatia is herself again, and my counsellor and giver of deep and celestial reasons for all things at which poor I can only snatch and guess by vulpine cunning. So now for our lighter entertainment, what shall it be? What you will, provided it be not, as most such are, unfit for the eyes of modest woman. I have no skill in catering for folly. A pantomime, then? We may make that as grand and as significant as we will, and expand, too, on it all our treasures in the way of jew-gahs and wild beasts, as you like. Just consider, too, what a scope for mythologic learning a pantomime affords. Why not have a triumph of some deity? Could I commit myself more boldly to the service of the gods? Now who shall it be? Pallas! unless, as I suppose, she is too modest and too sober for your Alexandrians? Yes, it does not seem to me that she would be appreciated. At all events for the present, why not try Aphrodite? Christians as well as pagans will thoroughly understand her, and I know no one who would not degrade the virgin goddess by representing her, except a certain lady who has already, I hope, consented to sit in that very character by the side of her too much honored slave and one palace is enough at a time in any theatre. Hypatia shuddered. He took it all for granted, then, and claimed her conditional promise to the uttermost. Was there no escape? She longed to spring up and rush away, into the streets, into the desert, anything to break the hideous net which she had wound around herself, and yet was it not the cause of the gods, the one object of her life? And after all, if he the hateful was to be her emperor, she at least was to be an empress, and do what she would, and half in irony, and half in the attempt to hurl herself perforce into that which she knew that she must go through, and forget misery and activity. She answered as cheerfully as she could. Then, my goddess, thou must wait the pleasure of these base ones. At least the young Apollo will have charms even for them. Ah, but who will represent him? This puny generation does not produce such figures as Pylades and Bathyllus, except among those Goths. Besides, Apollo must have golden hair, and our Greek race has intermixed itself so shamefully with these Egyptians that our stage troupe is as dark as Andromedia. 
and we should have to apply again to those acure Scoths, who have nearly, with a bow, all the beauty and nearly all the money and power, and will, I suspect, have the rest of it before I am safe out of this wicked world, because they have not nearly, but quite, all the courage. Now, shall we ask a goth to dance, Apollo? For we can get no one else. Hypatia smiled in spite of herself at the notion. That would be too shameful. I must forego the god of light himself, if I am to see him in the person of a clumsy barbarian. Then why not try my despised and rejected Aphrodite? Suppose we had her triumph, finishing with a dance of Venus and Adiomene. Surely that is a graceful myth enough. As a myth, but on the stage in reality, not worse than what this Christian city has been looking at for many a year. We shall not run any danger of corrupting mortality, be sure. Hypatia blushed. Then you must not ask for my help, or for your presence at the spectacle. For that, be sure, is a necessary point. You are too great a person, my dearest madame, in the eyes of these good folks, to be allowed to absent yourself on such an occasion. If my little stratagem succeeds, it will be half owing to the fact of the people knowing that in crowning me they crown in Hypatia. Come now, do you not see that as you must needs be present at their harmless scrap of mythology, taken from the authentic and undoubted histories of those very gods whose worship we intend to restore, you will consult your own comfort most in agreeing to it cheerfully, and in lending me your wisdom towards arranging it? Just conceive now, a triumph of Aphrodite, entering preceded by wild beasts, led in chains by cupids, the white elephant, and all, what a field for the plastic art! You might have a thousand groupings, dispersions, regroupings, in as perfect bas-relief style as those of any Sophoclean drama. Allow me only to take this paper and pen. And he began sketching rapidly, group after group. Not so ugly, surely. They are very beautiful, I cannot deny, said poor Hypatia. Ah, sweetness, Empress, you forgot sometimes that I, too, world-worm as I am, am a Greek with as intense a love of the beautiful as even you yourself have. Do not fancy that every violation of correct taste does not torture me as keenly as it does you. Some day, I hope, you will have learned to pity and to excuse the wretched compromise between that which ought to be and that which can be, in which we hapless statesmen must struggle on, half stunted and wholly misunderstood, Ah, well, look now at these fawns and dryads among the shrubs upon the stage. Pausing in, started wonder at the first blast of music, which proclaims the exit of the goddess from her temple. The temple? Why, where are you going to exhibit? In the theater, of course. Where else, pantomimes? But will the spectators have time to move all the way from the amphitheater? After that, those... the amphitheater? We shall exhibit the Libyans, too, in the theater combats in the theatre sacred to dinusos my dear lady penitently i know it is an offence against all the laws of the drama oh worse than that consider what an impiety toward the god to desecrate his altar with bloodshed fairest devotee recollect that after all i may fairly borrow dinusos's altar in this my extreme need for i saved its very existence for him by preventing the magistrates from filling up the whole orchestra with benches for the patricians after the barbarous Roman fashion. And besides, what possible sort of representation or misrepresentation has not been exhibited in every theatre of the empire for the last four hundred years? 
Have we not had tumblers, conjurers, allegories, martyrdoms, marriages, elephants on the tightrope, learned horses, and learned asses too, if we may trust Apuleius of Medora, with a good many other spectacles, of which we must not speak in the presence of a vestal? It is an age of execrable taste, and we must act accordingly. Ah, answered Hypatia, the first step in the downward career of the drama began when the successors of Alexander dared to profane theatres which had re-echoed the choruses of Sophocles and Euripides by degrading the altar of Dionysos into a stage for pantomimes, which your pure mind must doubtless consider not so very much better than a little fighting. But after all, the Poltemies could not do otherwise. You can only have Sophoclean dramas in a Sophoclean age, and theirs was no more of one than ours is, and so the drama died a natural death. And when that happens to man or thing, you may weep over it if you will, but you must, after all, bury it, and get something else in its place, except, of course, the worship of the gods. I am glad that you accept that, at least, said Hypatia, somewhat bitterly. But why not use the amphitheatre for both spectacles? What can I do? I am over head and ears in debt already, and the amphitheatre is half in ruins, thanks to that fanatic edict of the late emperors against gladiators. There is no time or money for repairing it, and besides how pitiful a poor hundred of combatants will look in an arena built to hold two thousand. Consider, my dearest lady, in what fallen times we live." I do indeed, said Hypatia, but I will not see the altar, polluted by blood. It is the desecration which it has undergone already, which has provoked the god to withdraw the poetic inspiration. I do not doubt the fact. Some curse from heaven certainly has fallen on our poets, to judge by their exceeding badness. Indeed, I am inclined to attribute the insane vagaries of the water-drinking monks and nuns, like those of the Argive woman, to the same celestial anger but I will see that the sanctity of the altar is preserved by confining the combat to the stage, and as for the pantomime which will follow, if you would only fall in with my fancy of the triumph of Aphrodite, Dinosus would hardly refuse his altar for the glorification of his own lady love. Ah, that myth is a late, and in my opinion a degraded one. Be it so, but recollect that another myth makes her, and not without reason, the mother of all living beings, be sure that Dinosus will have no objection, or any other god either, to allow her to make her children feel her conquering might, for they all know well enough that if we can once get her well-worshipped here, all Olympians will follow in her train. That was spoken of the celestial Aphrodite, whose symbol is the tortoise, the emblem of domestic modesty and chastity, not of that baser pandemic one. Then we will take care to make the people aware of whom they are admiring by exhibiting in the triumph whole legions of tortoises, and you yourself shall write the chant, while I will see that the chorus is worthy of what it has to sing. No mere squeaking, double flute, and a pair of boys, but a whole army of cyclops and graces, with such trebles and such bass voices, it shall make Cyril's ears tingle in his palace. The chant, a noble office for me truly, that is very part of the absurd spectacle to which you used to say the people never dreamed of attending. All which is worth settling you seem to have settled for yourself before you designed to consult me. I said so. Surely you must mistake. But
but if any hired potaster's chant do pass unheeded what has that to do with hypatia's eloquence and science glowing with the treble inspiration of athene phoebus and dionysos and as for having arranged beforehand my adorable mistress what more delicate compliment could i have paid you i cannot say that it seems to me to be one how after saving you every trouble which i could and racking my overburdened wits for stage effects and prophecies i have i not brought hither the darling children of my own brain and laid them down ruthlessly for life or death before the judgment seat of your lofty and unsparing criticism hypatia felt herself tricked but there was no escape now and who pray is to disgrace herself and me as venus and adiomene ah that is the most exquisite article in all my bill of fare what if the kind gods have enabled me to exact a promise from whom think you what care i how can i tell asked hypatia who suspected and dreaded that she could tell pelagia herself hypatia rose angrily this sir at least is too much it was not enough for you it seems to claim or rather to take for granted so imperiously so mercilessly a conditional promise weakly weakly made in the vain hope that you would help forward aspirations of mine which you have let lie fallow for months in which i do not believe that you sympathize now it was not enough for you to declare yourself publicly yesterday a christian and to come hither this morning to flatter me into the belief that you will dare ten days hence to restore the worship of the gods whom you have adjured it was not enough to plan without me all those movements in which you told me i was to be your fellow-counsellor the very condition which you yourself offered it was not enough for you to command me to sit in that theatre as your bait your puppet your victim blushing and shuddering at sights unfit for the eyes of gods and men but over and above all this i must assist in the renewed triumph of a woman who has laughed down my teaching seduced away my scholars braved me in my very lecture-room who for four years has done more than even cyril himself to destroy all the virtue and truth which i have toiled to sow and toiled in vain o beloved gods where will end the tortures through which your martyr must witness for you to a fallen race and in spite of all her pride and of orestes presence her eyes filled with scalding tears end of chapter twenty part two